0: Okay, if you would please turn to Galatians chapter 5, I'll be reading Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 5, Galatians 5, 1 through 5. For freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore and do not by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word. Father, help me. Let me be true in my understanding of the text and in its application and with new analogies for us. Help me unfold it, teach it, and by Your Spirit press it against our consciences. And thus by Your Spirit may we be those who Therefore rejoice in the freedom in which we endeavor to live. To the glory of Jesus Christ and to the future culmination of the salvation of our souls. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've finally arrived. Galatians 5. Which means now in this letter, we have finally arrived to Paul's unfolding the essence of Christian living. This passage here, and over the next couple of weeks as we bring verse 6 into it, it is the mountain peak of this whole letter. Paul's not making a suggestion. You're all good and fine. Jesus is coming back and everyone's going to be okay no matter what. He is given a command. And whether one is walking in the pathway of this command of freedom or through teachings... It causes them to turn and to live a path of life that is in slavery It has to do with eternity. It has to do with whether one is in grace now and thus forever for that righteousness that we await or whether they are slaves and living by the flesh and are severed from Christ, the only Savior. This text tells us in this room, every day, every move you make and how you move it, there's something that's behind it and underneath it that's moving you. Most people won't be able to tell But the Word of God will speak to you and hopefully if we're moving with wrong motives, we'll turn in our repentance to walk the Christian life of faith. Here's the flow of what Paul says in this passage. I'm going to read verse 1 and then I'm going to read verse 5 and feel it. For freedom, Christ set us free Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Well, the flow is this. Here's the Christian life. Through the Holy Spirit, by our active faith daily, we are looking forward to that future hope of righteousness. Therefore, do not listen to these guys and accept a yoke like a donkey that's going to guide you the way they want to guide you, which is slavery. Do not submit to legalism. That's His command. That's God's will for your life. If you're single, I have no idea if His will for you is to be married. If you're single and you will get married, I have no idea right now who the spouse is for you. I don't know whether you'll have children or not have children or how many. There's all kinds of things about God's will that that we get concerned about and there's a place for that when wisdom guides and it doesn't lead to fretting, but it leads to trusting. But there's the temptation in our lives is that (laughs) we so easily ignore God's revealed will. Like this text. Here's His will for you. Live in freedom. Live by the Spirit, trusting in Him. But so often His will, which is so clear in Scripture, gets pushed out to the periphery by all these other things. What's God's will? Which college should I go to? What should I major in? Should I buy this car or that car or no car? Should I buy a used car? Should I marry this person or the other? What ministry or help should I do within my local church? This one or that? What's God's will? And he doesn't say. He gives you all kinds of principles, but I don't see my name in there about a lot of these specifics. And here's my, here's my thing. Yes, we pray for God's will, but what seems to happen so often with us Christians, as church-going people, is that we're so obsessed with the will of God, of those things where He hasn't spoken clearly, specifically to our lives, that we thus ignore where He has spoken. Like this. Stand firm in freedom. The freedom that is the daily Christian walk in life. Do not get entangled into the slavery of legalism. See, that's a memory verse. That should go on your refrigerator. That should be on the mirror so you see it every morning. Stand in freedom and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, the negative part of the command is do not fall into working for God He doesn't need your work. He's not needy. Do not fall into doing things from God. Do not fall into an idea of obedience to New Testament commandments apart from an intimate relationship of trusting His promises and His commands that He really is a loving Father. For your good. Don't be doing them from something that's not that. This whole letter is about fighting for the freedom of living. Living ongoingly by faith. Remember how Paul said it back in chapter 3? Galatians. Did you, when I came with the Gospel, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the listening, hearing the message of God's love and salvation and promise through Jesus? Or by the hearing with a heart no one else can see, God knows it, with a heart of faith. Of course, he started by faith. And Judaizers had no problem with that. They're just saying, now you've got to go on and add something on top of the faith. And Paul's next line is this, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by your works of the law. Actually he didn't he said what there? The flesh, didn't he? Paul views this motivation of why one does something as sinful, fleshly. Motivation. He says, You guys began the Christian life by faith, or by the Holy Spirit. They're inseparable here. The Holy Spirit is the one who made you alive. To faith. And so he says, do not be a fool and turn to the slavery of the works of the law that these professing Christian men are trying to jam down your throats. Do not be an employee of God as an employer. Never approach him that way. Jesus freed you to have freedom. Of enjoying all of God's blessings and promises that are freely given to you. Walk in the disposition that is constantly receiving them as a gift. And stand against those who teach against this gospel. Stand firm. You started by the Spirit. Remember last week's passage. You, believer, are an Isaac, not an Ishmael. This is really huge for you kids that are raised in church. Okay, one thing I love about Sovereign Grace Fellowship is we watch kids from being babies on up and becoming 13 and 14 and 20 is the struggle to see am I real? because we want to protect you from thinking of course I'm a Christian with the Sunday school in my life I've always liked Jesus you might be an Ishmael we want you to be an Isaac look at that as Isaac gets older dad, Abraham, Sarah tell me about me how did I get here well, you just happened to be my son not the answer your brother Ishmael is my son also he's of the flesh he's not an inheritor of the promise let me tell you about you and I'll tell you what God did you're the result of a miracle you're the result of the promise Oh, and this is Paul's point. That's freedom. The Holy Spirit raised you from the dead. You believe. You believe. Jesus is not merely your mom's and your dad's treasure. He's your treasure. Not religion. Not culture. Your treasure. Some of you haven't been baptized yet, and you're probably born again. It's okay. You'll let us know when you want to be baptized. We'll work with you on that. But, you're born again is the important thing, and He's your treasure. As you lay down at night, and you know, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I so feel my own sinfulness. I watch it. Yeah, okay. Those are all good, good signs. Stand in freedom that's his main point now if you look down the passage if you got a real bible verses 2 through 6 we're going to be coming to six over the next couple weeks are the ground they are the reason to stand in freedom look at verses 2 and 3 first paul says here's the reason why you better stand in freedom and not submit to a yoke of slavery because of this. Look, I, Paul... You can feel the emphasis, can't you? Your dad ever spoke to you that way? Okay. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And then, verse 4 is an interpretation of that. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So, in other words, what he just said there is this you get circumcision in the way that he means right here, you're severed from Christ. Jesus and His work on the cross is no advantage to you personally. And then in verse 5, He says, but on the other hand, the positive, here's Christian freedom. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That's the text as a whole. Just look at it. The first argument of why standing in freedom is so, so important is verse 2. If you accept circumcision, Christ Jesus, He'll be of no advantage to you. If you're a person who's not paying very close attention to the book of Galatians and what Paul has been saying, you could totally just hear this verse and utterly misread what he means here. Look at that. Paul said, the act of circumcision, that's a bad thing. I want Jesus. I want to be saved. So I want let here. Ah, conclusion, to be non-circumcised is a good Thing. So let's use all our power and energy to make sure we don't get circumcised so we can be the special non-circumcised people that God will therefore bless. No, 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 no. no. That, that would be to totally miss Paul's point. That would be to make your non-circumcision something. Look at me. It's a work of the law. But that's why he's going to say in verse 6 there neither circumcision nor non circumcision counts for anything. But only one thing counts faith. I don't eat bacon. I don't eat shellfish. And I am not circumcised. Look at me. It's the same sin as if you got circumcised with the motivation that the Judaizers are pushing upon them. See, the point of verse 2 is not that circumcision in itself is wrong, but it's that any act is wrong if it is deemed as the way that you get God to save you. As the way that you get God to accept you as worthy of His grace. Circumcision just happened to be the tip of the spear of the issue in the teaching of the Judaizers. Do you remember back in chapter 2 where Paul connected this Motivation to get circumcised that they're pushing with slavery when he said in verses 3 to 5, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false Christians secretly brought in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the Gospel might be preserved for you. That's what Paul means in verse 1. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not be deceived into thinking that circumcision or any other act of so-called obedience can be offered to God as the reason that He owes you blessing, that He would owe you justification, salvation So Paul tells them if you buy into this system of christianity then Christ he'll be of no advantage to you The only way you can be assured that the cross of Jesus dying for the sins of all who are being saved that you're one of those, that that cross is of advantage to you, that it is applied to you, is by, here's how you know, by your trusting God, what He said, He will do for you. By your trusting Him to do for you, not trusting what you can do for Him. The idea that, okay, thank you God, now I will get to work and do some things for God, that very attitude and motivation dishonors Christ. And it nullifies what grace is. Slavery in this context is rejecting God's unmerited, unearned mercy. And it is attempting to work for Him, to do task in order to get Him therefore to see you as worthy or special of the paycheck of justification, of salvation. Not those people. That's why you can't be saved. You haven't done what we have done Follow me yet? No? Good. Verse 3. He draws out the logical implications of what he just said in verse 2. The logical implications of the doctrine of works of the law in order to be justified. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. He is obligated, he is obligated to keep. The whole shebang. The whole law. Works of the law. Legalism, Paul says, is slavery. Think about it. Why? Because it's unending for one. When they got the cart before the horse, get circumcised. Write your first premium check for your life insurance policy. You're in! field, You die tomorrow! Salvation to your family! One million dollars! Okay. Next month comes. Guess what? You've got to write another one. And another one. And say you do that for ten years. You've been working hard to make sure you can meet the life insurance premium so your family will do okay when you're dead. But then you let it lapse 18 years in. And it lapsed over the grace period for five months. And you get run over by a car. And after the grief, at least the family now is waiting for the check. Okay, we're going to be okay and they say sorry the policy was no more didn't keep up the debt payments to it this is at the core policy, you want to follow them this is what your life will be like, it's just the tip of the iceberg here some of you young people in college are going to find out about this debt mentality in a few years when you graduate And you got all that student debt to pay back month after month and year after year. And it's like, I gotta pay. I gotta pay it. That's why there's bumper stickers. I owe. I owe. So off to work I go. And it's month after month after month of bills. Now, So Paul says, look, you think this is it? You think you're just in? You don't understand these guys. I was one of them before Christ. These guys claim to come to Christ and they're still one of them. You don't get it. There's over 800 in the oral traditions that they had, 800 laws on how to keep the one Sabbath law. It's just the tip. It's kosher diet, there's washings, there's... There's, you're not going to be able to go into a Gentile house anymore, since you're now you converted to, to Judaism and to Christ together, and you got to keep festivals, and it's on and on and on. And woe to you if you don't keep them, because your life, your eternal life insurance policy, will be null and void unless you keep it up. All right, let me let me. Kind of pause here. Let's ask a question then at this point. Okay? How shall we, Christians, then, who've come to faith in Jesus, I'm alive and saved, I have been justified, it's done, I'm right with God, which is all biblical and all true? How shall we go on living? In other words, as a Christian, when you wake up and you open up your Bible every morning and you read, it says stuff to you in the New Testament like, do acts of love to one another. It says stuff like, forgive one another. Flee, run away from sexual immorality. Flee the love of money. Give generously in the support of the Gospel. Help the weak. Put to death. Do this is active. This is a work here. Put to death evil desires and covetousness. Show compassion. Show kindness and humility, patience with others. Do not neglect the meeting together as the church. Paul writes this Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, go on, Christian, and work out your salvation with fear and trembling or he says in Romans 12 let love among you towards one another be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good love one another with brotherly affection Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the financial needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality you getting the picture? I can go on and on and on. we got all kinds of commands flying at us from Paul. Much less Jesus as Christians. So when we open our Bibles every morning and you see those things, how do we do those do's and those do not do these? How do we do those and not be in the slavery that Paul is forbidding right here in Galatians 5? How can we obey God's commands and be living in the freedom Paul commands? So let's think about how this works for a little bit. What we just read in verses two and three I'll tell you, do not receive circumcision, Christ will be of no value to you. Whatsoever, not only that, you're going to be in such slavery to this whole obligation thing. What that is, is a warning to not be motivated by an employee mentality to God as an employer. God is not an employer. And it is dishonoring to ever think that He is. Because every employer that has ever lived is by definition, if they're hiring employees, needy. It's not grace. I need you to do this. Are you capable? If so, I will recompense you with this amount of money for your expertise and time. It is a tit for a tat. God is never that. Most religions of the world treat him as such. The balanced skills. Well, that's what employer employee thing is. You don't come to work, you don't get paid. We've got to balance the skills. We use currency, you know, paper stuff we make and coins. And you get that, you give me time and the work done. Paul is warning at the core, do not, do not approach any of these commands like love one another from that attitude or it will be in itself sinful. That's what he's saying. And there has been a tradition over the last 400 or so years within the church world that essentially says this, it's, it's not exactly that, but I'm going to say there's a, there's a real danger to this. Because it's back to the question, how shall I then live? And it teaches that Christians are those who are saved, justified by faith, alone through grace, alone, done, signed, sealed. That's absolutely true. So then, now I've got 48 more years until they put me in a coffin. What do I do? Well, what you do is this. You obey God from the motive of your gratitude of what He has done for you. It's not biblical. The Bible doesn't talk that way about our obedience as Christians. This idea that God saved me, so now this week you might have enough energy when you're a new Christian. Sometimes energy carries us for a few years until we peter out. You might have energy. I'm so thankful. For the first week, first month, first year. But for the next year, in the next four decades, you are to go day by day fighting and battling the desires in you that say, I don't want to obey God, I want to obey my flesh. But no, nope, you should not go there because that's right, that's right. I'm supposed to show God how grateful I am that I'm saved. So therefore, I will go ahead and do X, Y, and Z that He lists for me in the New Testament. And that can be very, very dangerous. Because it, I don't. You might be different than me. It just every time I even try to work that out in my head, it feels so much like paying God back. It feels so much like okay, my employer gave me a two months advanced wages. Here's fourteen thousand dollars. Okay, I know you're gotten in debt and you get okay. <laughs> oh what a good employer. Likes to go to work for the next two months, right? I mean, absolutely, for what I've already been paid because I do owe him. My work. it just feels so much. God saved me. Now I do this because Okay, I gotta conjure it up. I'm grateful and from that show him and thus work for him with the currency of my gratefulness, shown through my so-called obedience. This is really dangerous, because this has to do with the New Testament doctrine. And this is a New Testament word. That's New Testament a very small book. Okay, It's not a big book. It's a New Testament word. And this has to do with sanctification. This has to do with what is the Christian life from the moment of salvation... Till death or till Jesus comes back, how do we live? Do we live with this motivation of oh, I don't really like that don't commit sexual immorality uh, tithe okay love one another right? Well, okay I don't really like those commands, but I gotta. Show God how thankful I am. That's offensive to God. I mean, if that's the motive. Gratitude is huge in the New Testament. If you don't have gratitude, the question is, do you have faith? But it's not the motivation for why I do God's commands. It's dangerous because justification and sanctification are distinct, but they're never Separated. There's a difference here. And this separates sanctification from justification. Justification is by faith, a heart that says, Look at Jesus' command. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and burden. I'll give you rest. And faith, because of the work of the Spirit, I see it. How beautiful that is. Who would not want this? And it acts. And so you're justified. And now, sanctification is on a different railroad track. You leave that track and you get over on the track here of gratitude for going on and obeying God. The same faith dynamic that got you justified by new birth. And it just sprung up is the same railroad track you live the Christian life on. You don't jump off of that track. The whole point of Galatians is that the same faith is the one you tomorrow wake up with. And God says, Alex, don't do that. Alex, love the Lord your God with all your heart. My strength. It says, don't live according to your flesh, Lindsay. And you say, oh, but I did. And it says, confess your sins. He's faithful. And then you do. And you do it because you say, look at that commandment. To who else shall we go for the words of life? I want life. I want happiness. And you tell me how to get it. And that's the track. You live on. And that's the whole point back in chapter 3. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by your works not coming from faith? They so fully shall be begun by the Spirit. You're now trying to be perfected by, I will work for God. The motivation for obeying God in all things is not to show Him how grateful you are. Oh, you ought to be grateful. But the motivation for your obedience today is a heart of faith, of trust. Where you say, trust me. I'm your Father. I'm your Master. I'm your Savior, the Lord Jesus. Follow me. Take up your cross and come this way. And those who do it, truly, they do it because even though it may be painful, there's an eternity ahead and I trust Him I'm going His way and that's a heart of faith the heart of faith is a motivation that wants to be really truly and long-lastingly happy and that's why it obeys I'm gonna read for a moment from a sermon Written in 1731 by Jonathan Edwards. I just think he nails the core of this walking by faith. This is the heart of what Christianity is. The redeemed, that is those who are saved, believers, have all of their objective good in God. God Himself is the great good which they are brought to the possession and the enjoyment of by redemption. I see, my eyes are open. He, God, is the highest good and the sum of all that good which Christ Himself purchased for us. God is the inheritance. Of the saints. He is the portion of their souls. God is their wealth, their treasure, their food, their life, their dwelling place, and their everlasting honor and glory. The glorious excellencies and beauty of God, even in the resurrection of the dead later on after Judgment Day, God in His excellencies and beauty will be what will forever entertain the minds of the saints. And the love of God will be their everlasting feast. Yes, the redeemed will indeed enjoy other things. They will enjoy the angels and they will enjoy one another but that which they shall enjoy in the angels or each other or in anything else whatsoever will be what will be seen of God in those persons, in those things. End quote. So the Christian life the daily ongoing christian life is not about merely what god did for me back in 1981 it's not merely what he did in the past the christian life is rooted in the past the present and in the future the christian life is not okay i'm Yes, I better get to work for God and live according to His ways in order to prove that I am grateful. No. But the life of genuine believers is this. And I get this from the New Testament. I get it from Hebrews. You wake up. Today. Right now. Today is the day of salvation. Today, Father, You're my hope. Jesus, You're my help. Holy Spirit, You in me, You are my joy. Today, Your Holy Scripture I put within my mind mixed with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Your ongoing grace working in me, keeping my heart. In faith that is relying upon you in your promises and your commands that my heart will see the truth of Jonathan Edwards sermon. That's the daily Christian life. It's not obligation to a debt you owe because he did so much for you. Then back to text. Verse 4, it's a restatement of what he said in verses 2 and 3. An unfolding. You were severed from Christ, you who would be justified by law. What he means is, that's your motivation. You who would do these things in order to get justified by your obedience to the law in Leviticus, Exodus, Luke, Romans. You who think you're going to be justified by God by what you do, you have fallen away from grace. Grace is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What these men are teaching, works of the law, it denies at its core Whether they admit it or not, Paul says it. It denies at its core justification that God gives freely as a gift of grace to be received by a heart that trusts Him. Alone. It denies it. That's why he says what he says. You have fallen away from grace. That's why he says those persons... Who are seeking to be justified, that means to be counted righteous by God. You're seeking to get that by your obedience to commands, and thus I did it. Okay, I'm gonna get this. Severed from Christ. That's not the gospel. It doesn't matter whether it's the initial way you so-called become a Christian or whether you're 30 years in. That's not the Gospel. That religious tract, whether in the name of Christianity or not, shows that one is not in grace. The Judaizers' doctrine is clear. We believe in Jesus. You've got to believe in Jesus. He's the Jewish Messiah. We say yes and amen. But you can't remain non-Jews, Gentiles. You must go on and add, just as we Jews got to keep adding, you must go on and add to your faith. On top of that now, works. Or you won't be saved. That's at the core the false teaching. Add to your faith something else on top. Together, they'll save you. That's one of the main issues 500 years ago that the Protestant Reformation was about. The Roman church back then and today officially teach you have to believe in Jesus you have to have faith, it is by grace, absolutely you can't be saved without grace you must believe but not only that you must add to that belief your works that are in you of righteousness coming outward together okay, if I use math faith plus those works together equal salvation or justification. So, that's why the, not circumcision, but baptism, and it's done for you if you're a baby, you're cradle Catholic like I was, then it's done for you, which then you are to confirm yourself when you get into junior high school. You do these acts. This is the pathway of salvation. And you continue on with the other sacrament of penance. This is not a small issue. It wasn't for Paul. So one more time, let me be clear that the error of the Judaizers is not that they go too far in obedience. Like here's the Christian life, start here, here's obedience, zero obedience in, full obedience in, let's not go too far or become legalist. That is not the issue. The entire issue is that their obedience is no obedience at all. It is absolutely, and its foundation, totally wrong and rooted in arrogance and pride and not faith. That's the issue of the doctrine of the Judaizers. And Paul says, no, the Christian life is the power of grace. The power of grace to cause those who believe in God's promises to go on trusting His promises that Jesus bought on the cross. They look to His direction. Father, which way do I go? Don't go that way. You got it. It's the power of grace working in them by the Holy Spirit. It comes from a heart that knows I've already been justified. By nothing I do today. By Jesus' work for me. It understands the core of substitution in the gospel. And so that heart goes on then by the power of grace, trusting. And that's exactly how Paul describes it. Finally, now, in verse 5. Not the Judaizer's way. That's no freedom. That's not the gospel. That's not grace. Here's the Christian life. For through the Spirit, by faith, he's not talking about a past event now, is he? Listen to him. This is your daily life. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly, or are eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. Paul says, That's the life of those persons who are being saved. That's the truth or the dynamic that's happening in them. That's why verse five starts with the word for. See that? For. In other words, not The Judaizers' teaching of works of the law, add those on top of faith somehow, and that that makes you special, therefore you keep yourself saved. If not, you're going to fall. No, 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 no. For, verse 5, these are those who are in grace. These are those who are in Christ and not severed from Christ. These are those who are being saved through the Spirit by faith. They're waiting for the hope of dikaya sune, Righteousness. Or it could be translated justification. So we pause for a second. Thought we're already justified. We are. And Paul teaches that in Galatians, teaches it clearly in Romans, for having been justified by faith. In other words... Our sins are wiped away Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us so what he's doing here is say, yeah, that's true but there's still a future judgment that hasn't happened yet where everything will then be made publicly clear and the public declaration then at judgment day will be made Christians are waiting for that day And not only that public declaration, they're waiting for the righteousness that is not merely uh, uh, a possession they have legally before God, but the righteousness that will absolutely change their person from the inside out and they'll become sinless and thus they will themselves, not now, but then be morally righteous. He says Christians live daily, eagerly looking for that day. And so just briefly then as I close in six minutes. Diamond. He says there's two things. Through the Spirit and by faith. Through the Holy Spirit. Paul's made clear that those who are believers, our new life in Christ began by the Holy Spirit to receive the Holy Spirit by your worship of the Lord. By the gospel came, the word came, and faith came alive. The Holy Spirit raised us spiritually from the dead. We are the result of God's promise. Like Isaac in the paragraph before. And he says, we continue now daily to walk. In the Christian life, by the influence of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit. But think about what that means. God's eternal happiness and joy is in God. It's who he is. And Paul has made clear in Galatians already. That's where he says it. Christian, do you know what happened? The Spirit of God's eternal Son, because the essence of God the Son has been His love and joy and delight and fulfillment in God the Father. The Spirit of His Son has been poured out into our hearts. That's why a dead, hell-bound person is all of a sudden... Chain. the Spirit came in and Jesus' very love for the Father came into our soul, our spirit and now we love the Father crying Abba Daddy that's the daily walk by the Spirit Paul just spelled it out this way right in chapter 2 verse 20 "For I have been crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I, but Christ, how? By the Spirit lives in me. And the life, therefore, that I now live, I live, how? By faith, day after day, by trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. That's the Christian life. We have a taste of the love Christ has for the Father in our very soul. You don't have it full-blown. We have a down payment of it by the Spirit. But it's genuine and it's there and we walk by it and we eagerly wait for the fulfillment and the consummation of it one day with complete righteousness. We walk by the influence of God's very presence by God the Holy Spirit in us and thus by faith. By faith in what? in the scripture in what God has said in the gospel of his son and our salvation and all the promises laid out in scripture that he purchased that's the Christian life Paul said it this way in Second 2 Thessalonians 2.13 God chose you as the first fruits to be saved watch he's not done how? through a process through sanctification by the holy spirit and belief in the truth that's what's happening and that's essentially what he says through the spirit by faith in the truth trusting the truth and so believer think about it christ is your treasure You've come alive to Him. You were a hell-bound sinner. You had zero true love for God. And then God called you to Himself by the Spirit. And Paul now says to us all, Do not turn away do not jump on another railroad track of the Christian life don't turn away from trusting God's promises this day and as long as it is called today don't ever turn to I'm a Christian I guess I better do such and such because I need to work for God look to God's Biblical directions and promises every day. Through, as a desperate person, help my heart come alive to Your Word and overcome my sinful flesh. Look to His Word every day by the power of the indwelling Spirit to keep your heart in faith. Paul says the Christian life, twofold. On one side of the equation is God's ongoing work of the Spirit. That's the work of the Spirit. Bringing you alive. Keeping you in freedom. The other part of the equation is our ongoing active attention to the Scripture that you love, that you trust in with a heart of joy. So go on. Absorbing, reading, hearing God's Word and trusting what you hear through the Holy Spirit and by faith in that Word. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your work, Your work of Your Spirit in the act of preaching, in the act of the communion of the saints, in the fellowshipping around the Word. You work. I trust You've been working. And I beg that You continue to work deeply in our souls, daily softening them, To be pliable to Your Word. That we would rejoice in Your commandments. Rejoice in Your promises. For who else, Lord Jesus, has the Word of life? There's nowhere else to go. Thank You, Father, that in these ways, You glorify Your Son In your church. Amen.